0: Past ball show brought to you by JohnPLE.com.
1: What the f you think is my opinion of it? I think it was f. f- put that in. I don't f- So the tribe drops its third straight on this trip, six to one to the Rangers. For the Indians, one run on, let's say, one hit. That's all we've got. One goddamn hit remember, it's not a lie. If you believe.
0: Joe Carter
1: with a three-run homer. The winners and still world champions, the Toronto Blue Jays.
0: And this team
1: sucks.
2: Well, well the where he's
1: out. out. Yes, Brad is Brett. out. Look, look at this. Brad is out. And Damon Mad.
2: I don't want to argue about other sports. I'm in the baseball business. This
1: team runs cleaner than any baseball business ever put out in the 100 years of the present time
0: sell the team Oh, yeah. Welcome back. John Piele, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Of course, this is hour two of the program. Feel free to tweet at me at John underscore Piele. We keep the program interactive throughout the entire duration of the show. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed the interview last hour with Ed Charles. I got another interview coming up with former Major League pitcher Peter Monroe, right-hand pitcher to pitch for the Astros and a couple other organizations throughout his career. He talks about his experiences and you know what kind of didn't go right for him and you know here's a guy that probably as his life has gone on after baseball he probably doesn't miss it too much and you're gonna find out in the interview so hopefully you guys enjoy the spot with Peter Monroe coming up in this hour former major league right-hand pitcher but before we get into the 31 MLB countdown we started first hour we broke down the Astros and if you're not too familiar with the Astros and the direction they're going in or obviously a younger team and you know you got a chance to really see if you listen in the first hour about uh, the positives for the Astros and how they're starting to build themselves gradually to being a contender. Maybe within the next couple of years you're going to see some promises and some good signs with stuff going on with them. But uh, obviously we're going to move on. We're going to go up from – 30 to 1 Uh, talk about the worst teams in baseball up to the best teams and I'll tell you the reasons why I think they're going to be in the order that they are obviously I'm not going to be right but hey it's just one man's opinion but before we get into that I want to talk a little bit about some conventional things going on in Major League Baseball of course the Atlanta Braves go out there they sign Irvin Santana probably that last big time free agent pitcher that was out on the market to a contract for 14 and a half million and uh, you talked a little bit within this program from the last couple weeks about the remaining free agents out there. And it was Irvin Santana until he signed with the Braves. And then, of course, Steven Drew. And then after that, you got Kendries Morales. And the reason why it made sense from at least a player and the agent's perspective for them to wait it out and not necessarily take the best deal just because it was there and it was all they could get, is because something like what happened with the Atlanta Braves could happen. A pitcher like Chris Medlin, who unfortunately seems like he's heading towards Tommy John surgery and is probably going to be out for the 2014 season, now the Braves all of a sudden have a need and that allows them to go out there and maybe be a little more aggressive with a guy like Irvin Santana. And prior to that, there was talks with the Minnesota Twins, maybe thinking about going to a three-year, $30 million deal, a little less annual value to get for the security of allowing him to pitch for the next three seasons. And, uh, you know, when, when it comes down to it, it was the Blue Jays and the Orioles, probably with the the two best teams at the time or the best chances of landing him. And then the Braves come in and say, listen, we kind of do need to add another veteran pitcher with Chris Medlin not being in the mix. And, you know, if he is out for the year for Tommy John surgery, you're going to need some more depth. This is a team that has Julio Teheran, of course, Mike Minor, Brandon Beachy, Medlin, and Galvin Floyd, who was the right-hand pitcher, that they signed from the Chicago White Sox, one-time Philadelphia Phillies prospect. And without Medlin, the Braves would be in trouble. And it looks like he's not going to pitch for them. The Braves don't have a ton of extra depth within their pitching staff. And the injury to Medlin leads them to go out there and make Irvin Santana the offer and end up signing him and taking him off the board. In regards to the other two players, to Drew and Morales, that's what Scott Boris is hoping. He's hoping that a team comes up with a need. All of a sudden, a shortstop is out for a significant amount of time or a first-base situation doesn't pan itself out to where it makes any sense. Uh, you know, Obviously, you know where the Mets stand. They need a shortstop, but the Mets aren't going to sign a shortstop. They're, they're going to go with Ruben Tejada and Omar Quintanilla and me and you to play shortstop because they don't really care about the position. But, hey, first base could actually be more interesting or more intriguing for the Mets. Maybe they could go out there and get themselves involved in Kendry's Morales. And I think that's part of Scott Boris's plan. The Mets have two injured first basemen, Ike Davis and Lucas Duda, though it looks like Duda is going to come back and be on the field, but they may end up needing a first baseman. And if they end up starting the season without Davis and Duda, then maybe the Mets jump in and say, hey, let's, let's just fuck the whole thing up and say, forget about Duda, forget about Davis, and go in a totally different direction. Maybe they get themselves interested in Morales. And at this point, they may be more interested in Kendry's Morales than they are in Steven Drew, as weird as that sounds. But Scott Boris is gonna obviously be looking to get that fit for his two players. And I really do feel he's gonna get multi year deals, maybe a two year deal for Drew, a two year deal for Morales with the right fit. And the key is is when you got the puzzle, you got the pieces all in a certain way and you want to find a way to mold your piece which is Scott Boris's two players here and Drew and Morales, and kind of fit it into the puzzle where it works out best for whatever team is interested or becomes interested based on certain needs and circumstances. But I I do think before the season starts or near the beginning of the season, I do think Drew and Morales will be off the board, similar to the way Santana is, and... Definitely other parts of programs and shows you can listen to and break that down a little more. But once again, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. One thing I want to jump into before we start getting into our previews, which we'll start with number 29, the Miami Marlins, and move our way up today. And Peter Monroe will be joining a program towards the end of this hour. Former Major League right-hand pitcher is something that's kind of annoying. You you've go into spring training, and you hear the same thing every year with people complaining, whether it's media, whether it's writers, whether it's people putting together pieces, and he say, X pitcher, his velocity is down. Uh, have you realized that we're just in the beginning of March that pitchers are starting to throw for the first time, but obviously these writers, they, they just can't wait to write a story. So now apparently there's some concern in a Tigers camp because Justin Verlander's fastball is not popping like you know, Justin Verlander of midseason. And I'm so tired of hearing this because you could do this every year and it goes from the one extreme to the other where we talk about, hey, a guy's velocity is down. And even in the first couple starts, when you get into April and you see maybe the fastball isn't popping up in the high 90s like it's capable of or a pitcher that throws 95 is throwing about 90, 91 – you know, give the guys a chance to get their arms back into shape before you jump to these crazy conclusions because these conclusions end up going from the, the bad to the ridiculous when you say, hey, maybe there's something wrong with his arm. No, there's something wrong with you for reporting the stupid story about the guy's velocity being down a couple miles an hour. It doesn't make sense. It's not important right now. Let the guy work himself back, and this is why it's such a problem with all the extra social media, all the extra podcasts that are out there that every. Everybody's gotta go out there and write their story, and you, know, you got millions and millions of people going out there writing and throwing their opinions in and analyzing what they see. Obviously, technology has something to do with it. Technology is great. Technology has gotten to a point where we could see everything right in front of our eyes and know everything that's going on in the world. And if you're a Major League Baseball fan, there probably isn't a story that's going to get by you without you knowing exactly what's going on with it. But the problem is, people are micromanaging everything they see. And you're standing there with your two eyes staring at a pitcher while he's throwing every one of his pitches with the radar gun right there. That was 89. That was 89. He usually throws 95. Stop it already. Let the guys work. Work themselves out, get themselves into shape, and wait until the season starts before you go out with these ridiculous judgments and these stupid assessments where you think a guy is not going to be the same pitcher and then go overboard and say, hey, you know, maybe there's something wrong with his arm. Maybe he should have an operation. Just stop already, relax. Please. Once again, John Pielli Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. We're going to take our first break, and then we're going to jump into the thirty-to-one MLB countdown, JohnPelle.com. The previews and a little discussion about each team as we go forward and get ourselves ready for the two thousand and fourteen season. Be right back after this.
2: Hey, guys and gals! Want to have a great time dining out while watching your favorite sport on HD TV? then come on down to Hooters of Princeton, New Jersey, located on Route 1 South in Trenton in the Mercer Mall. Hi, I'm Deja. And I'm Corey. These are great deals all week, bound to whet your appetite and satisfy your hunger. Check out our Bunday Mondays, where you can have a delicious cheeseburger and fries for only $6.99. On Tuesdays, we have all-you-can-eat wings all day, just $12.99 per person or $10.99 for boneless. On Wednesdays, you can get 10 boneless wings and an order of fries for just $6.99. On Saturday, kids eat free for every meal ordered by an accompanying adult, and the meals are served on Frisbee. We have half-priced appetizers from 10 p.m. until close every day. You can then enjoy your cold draft beer with our mouth-watering crab clusters for only $5. Remember, we are located in Trenton on Route 1 South in the Mercer Mall, just south of Quaker Bridge Road. For any information, call us at 609-520-WAIT. That's 609-520-9464. So come on in and watch your favorite football team while having a great meal, served up by the nicest and the hottest girls anywhere. Hope to see you there.
0: Hey, I'm Sean Big Daddy Lynch. I'm Joe DeLisanti. And I'm Tim O'Brien. And, and we're your favorite tailgaters.
2: Listen to our show every Tuesday morning from 11 to 12 on NTR Radio. We'll tempt your palate with football, basketball, baseball,
0: hockey, you name it, we got it. That's right, we do. We'll stir things up, voice what's grinding our gears, and just talk plain sports. We hold nothing
2: back. Sports Talk Radio, are you ready for the tailgaters?
3: Show.
0: Show. And and of course Jose Fernandez, the rookie of the year, really has the ability to be a great and elite pitcher. They traded Logan Morrison to the Seattle Mariners to get Carter Caps. They also let free agents Placido Polanco and Juan Pierre, veteran players who are probably near the end anyway, walk. They traded Justin Roggiano to the Cubs for Brian Bogusevich. They ended up signing free agent catcher Jared salta to a three-year deal, which I think he'll help the pitching staff out a little bit. Uh, Garrett Jones, Rafael Fercal are also in the mix. Uh, They got some very good young pitching in addition to Fernandez with Henderson Alvarez, Jacob Turner, Tom Kohler, and Alex Sanabi all kind of uh, vying for some spots in a rotation. Um, Fernandez obviously is the ace. He burst on the scene last year, going 12 and six, 2.19 ERA in 28 starts, struck out 187 batters in 172 and two-thirds innings. deserved his All-Star selection. I think Turner really has the most upside of the other starters. He he should certainly build on his three and eight, 3.74 uh, season with 20 starts last year. He's probably the number two. I don't think there are any questions being asked. Henderson Alvarez threw a no-hitter last year. Um, he's he's a guy that along with Nathan and probably guys like Kevin Slowey, the veteran who's back, Sanabia and Kohler, and even Brad Hand, I think will all be part of the mix. they got a couple pitching prospects, Justin Nicolino, Andrew Haney, who could be almost ready to go. I think they'll both make their debut at some point this season. Offensively, I think this is a team that uh, has some talent, guys like Christian Yelich, Marcelo Suna, two guys that are probably going to have a chance to play every day this year. They bring in Salta Lamacchia, a guy who has a World Series championship with the Red Sox last year. Jeff Mathis and Rob Brantley will probably battle to be the backup catcher. But guys like Adeni Echevarria, the shortstop, he didn't really uh, show too much at the plate. He just hit 227 last year. Uh, Casey McGee, Jeff Baker are probably going to combine to be the best options for third base for them. I think they'll both be an upgrade from Placido Polanco. McGee, a very good year last year in Japan. Uh, For Kyle, obviously missed the entire 2013 season. Donovan Solano is a guy that they've used last year, uh, is a guy that's kind of emerging. I think he'll battle with For Kyle. For if he's healthy, I think will give them a little bit of an upgrade at second base. Solano will anchor the bench that's led by Bogusevic, Mathis, uh, Brantley, and Greg Dobbs. And Garrett Jones will play first base. Uh, I think this is a team that's kind of trying to piece some pieces together while they try to build off of last season, and obviously they're a little bits away. Their closer, Steve Syshek, I think did a pretty good job last year. He's a guy that kind of grabbed the closer role and ran with it. 74 strikeouts at 69 and two-thirds innings. Um, Mike Dunn, I think, is the best option as far as a setup man. 72 strikeouts at 67 and two-thirds innings last year. He's a left-hander that could pitch whole innings. I think he'll be a good option to be the eighth-inning guy. Carter Caps, who they got in a little low- Logan Morrison trade, Carlos Marmal is a guy that, listen, you're just taking a flyer on him. Maybe he could help you, maybe he won't. I think the bullpen outside of Sychec and Dunn is going to have a little bit of problems this year. And, you know, as you get games like Fernandez going out there, pitching seven innings, you know, it probably is frustrating to see games get blown. But if you could get themselves into the eighth inning, I think the Marlins will have a little bit of a chance to be able to complete some games and get some wins. But the pitching, in my opinion, I think will be a little better than expected. If Fernandez competes for the Cy Young this year, um, it's going to be contagious to the rest of the team. I really do believe that. Vegas has the Marlins at 69.5 uh, as their over-under. Uh, I would be very surprised if you take the over. I got them going at 60-102, and 102, two games worse than in 2013, but moving in a positive direction. They had the worst record in the National League last year, and I think they'll likely repeat that. Am I silly with this pick? No, nah, I don't really think so. Moving on once again, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network, 30 to 1 MLB countdown. This is the whole list of the teams in order from worst record to best record in my opinion. And after you get 30 and 29 out of the way with the Astros and the Marlins, I think it's pretty much a toss up. I don't think any of these other teams are going to be that much worse than the others, but I'm going to I have to start somewhere. I have to pick a team to be 28, and that to me is going to be the Colorado Rockies. The Rockies has started to get a clue of how to run the organization a little better. They, remember, a couple years ago, they implemented one of the worst pitching staffs in history with their idea, and it had nothing to do with the personnel. They switched to a four-man rotation, gave each starting pitcher a limit of, eight, of 75 to 80 pitches, and then they brought in a piggyback pitcher who would generally enter the game in a third or fourth inning couldn't have been a worse idea, and it certainly set the organization back, particularly with the younger pitchers that were involved in trying to get themselves used to facing Major League hitters. This offseason, I think it left much to be desired. It was common knowledge that the team intended to trade Dexter Fowler, but they got just Jordan Lyles and Brandon Barnes in return, and I don't think it was a good trade from the Rockies' perspective. They acquired Drew Stubbs from the Indians, and they traded right-hand pitcher Josh Outman. I don't think it was a bad move, but the the Rockies, in essence, replaced Fowler with Stubbs and I think Fowler is a much better player with much more ability to do more things Stubbs I think could play some defense and center but strikes out way too much other moves they got Brett Anderson from the athletics which could be good they traded Drew Pomerantz, who was one of their top prospects to get him Franklin Morales is back in the mix. They traded Jonathan Herrera. To me, that's a move that's neither here nor there. Uh, they signed LaTroy Hawkins, who's probably going to be their closer. Came off of a very solid season. And, you know, it was a three three and two, thirteen saves, two ninety-two ERA in 72 games at age 40 with the Mets. I think he'll get a chance to close, but Rex Brothers had a phenomenal season last year. Two and one with 19 saves, a 1.74 ERA with 10.2Ks per nine innings pitch. I think he's going to be the closer after things are settled. and they figure it out. I think Hawkins will be a very good 8th inning guy. Boone Logan I thought was a very good signing for them. A left-hander who's going to be that prototypical loogie, allow brothers to maybe be the closer or the 8th inning guy. Uh, Matt Belial comes back, Wilton Lopez comes back, Adam Adovino. I really do think they have a very good—the makings of having a very good bullpen. they got guys like Greg, Greg Burke, Nick Massett, and Manuel Corpus who are all going to compete maybe for one or two spots, and I think they could all help out. And I think this is a bullpen that probably will be the biggest strength of this team. I really do—I think they, get, they have the ability to have a good bullpen and could have the saving grace to make up with some other things that are probably looking so bright— in the eyes of the Colorado Rockies and their fans, but in regards to their starting rotation, Julie Chassin, Jorge De La Rosa, I think for the first time in a couple of years, they have a legitimate one and two. Uh, Chassin was 14 and 10 with a 3.47 ERA in 31 starts last year. Uh, De La Rosa was 16 and 6 with a 3.49 ERA in 30 starts coming back from his injury. I think Anderson could be a very good acquisition, but remember, here's a guy that struggled coming back from his injury last season with Oakland, and I think the Athletics were really looking to move him and maybe have a team try to sell low and think they could get a little more out of him. I think he could beat a number three starter, absolutely, but he's got to earn it. Uh, Tyler Chatwood, Juan Nicasio. Uh, perhaps even Jordan Lyles I think will be in the mix. The key for them is Jonathan Gray, right-hand pitcher. They took number two overall in the draft last year. Has a ton of talent. Maybe he becomes an option this season, maybe next season, but he's certainly a guy that I think is going to be a very good pitcher for the Colorado Rockies. Uh, Dexter Fowler, of course, remember we traded him. So, Carlos Gonzalez becomes the center fielder. I have no doubt that Carlos Gonzalez can be a center fielder, but do you want an off-injured outfielder who played in just 110 games last season playing a position that's going to wear him out and is going to require more strenuous athleticism? I don't agree with the move. I really think that Gonzalez is better suited to play left field. I think you allow his bat to kind of do the talking. You know he's going to play good defense. I know he could play center field, but listen, it's going to be a little less strenuous for him playing left field, but listen, that the Rockies are going to do what they want. Troy Tulowitzki, their other big star player that they have, is a guy that's been off injured. Uh, you, you know what he could do when he's healthy, but he hasn't played he's only played 150 games once since 2008. We know what he's capable of. Like I said, he hit 312, 25 82 in 126 games last year. Michael Kadire was probably their best all-around player. Uh, he played a full season. He was healthy. He hit 331. He drove in 84 runs. He had an outstanding season last year, but Justin Morneau comes over to play first base. I think that could be a little bit of an upgrade over Todd Helton. Another key to them is what they get out of their third baseman, Nolan Arenado, who won the Gold Glove last year. He hit .267. He probably has a little more upside. I think you could get a little more out of him. Catcher Will and Rosario obviously has good numbers for a catcher, but the Rockies don't look at him as a catcher for long. In this offseason, they looked at Brian McCann. They looked at Carlos Ruiz, even Travis Darnot, uh, with thoughts of moving Rosario to the outfield. It still might happen, though the Rockies don't really have a legitimate starting catcher on a roster other than him. In fact, the Rockies are toying with the idea of using infielder Jordan Pacheco and outfielder Matt, Matt McBride as backup catchers or part-time catchers while Rosario isn't playing. Uh Relax a little bit, though. It, it seems uh, as if Michael McKendry, who came over from the Pittsburgh Pirates, will probably be the backup catcher. He's in on a minor league deal, so you can't really count him on your depth chart. DJ LeMayu is going to be the starting second baseman. I wouldn't be surprised, though, if Josh Rutledge, who only hit two thirty-five last year, gets some more playing time. I think Rutledge has more of an upside. Here's the lineup I'd go with with the Rockies. Stubbs, Tulowitzki, Gonzalez, Kadire, Rosario, Morno, Ar- Arenado, and LeMayu. Two through six will be great if everybody can stay healthy. That's a big if. The Rockies went 74 and 88 last season. That was because they got some very good starting pitching by Chausseen and De La Rosa. They can improve if the pitching gets better. And if the players in the lineup stay healthy, I'm not banking on it. I, I see a step back this season. I could see them going 66 and 96, last place in the NL West. In fact, I think it'll get so bad uh, that some veteran players like Kadire and maybe even Tulo or Cargo could get traded. I expect to see Rosario out from behind the plate which is going to require somebody else to be out of their respective position. I thought the Vegas over-under at 76.5 was a little too high. I'm betting low, definitely. I think there's enough talent that this team could throw it in my face, though, and hopefully if you're a Colorado Rocky fan and you root for this team, you hope that I'm wrong. Once again, John Pielli Passball Show, MTR Radio Network, 30-1 to 1 countdown, MLB previews for 2014. Of course, check that out on JohnPialy.com. I got the whole list up there, and I'm actually running a little slower than I want to eventually I'm going to get all 30 up there so if you go on my website johnpelli.com, check it out you can read all my respective team previews but moving from 28 which is the Rockies to 27 the Minnesota Twins and I got to be honest I really looked at the Twins coming into this season as a sleeper with sleeper potential I think it all kind of got hurt a little bit or the chances decreased when Miguel Sano who you know is a guy that probably is their best prospect and may along with Byron Buxton be a guy that they could kind of build the team around, is probably going to miss the season or is going to miss most of the season with his Tommy John surgery. He's a future star. He would have likely hit 20 to 30 home runs in his rookie campaign and probably competed for the Rookie of the Year award. The potential production in that of top overall prospect, according to MLB.com, Byron Buxton, uh, were expected to give the team a boost. In fact, uh, that was part of the reason the Twins went out and signed free agent pitchers Ricky Nolasco and Phil Hughes and brought back Mike Pelfrey and we're even in it till Irvin, for Irvin Santana until he signed with the Atlanta Braves. The thought was if they could get decent starting pitching, then offensively they'll be okay. Obviously the loss of Sano hurts and all but eliminates the chances of the Twins being a sleeper pick this season. They traded catcher Ryan Domet to the Braves in exchange for a minor league pitcher. Joe Maurer is moving to first base. I think that should ap- absolutely make him one of the more productive first baseman in all the American League. I'm not kidding. Having a chance to play 150 plus games will allow Maurer to show his hitting prowess, something that he it was held back because he had to squat down to play and missed a lot of time due to injury. The rotation will consist of Pelfrey, uh, Correa, Kevin Correa is coming back, uh, Nolasco, Hughes and maybe uh, you a know, fifth starter will probably be a little bit of a competition. Sam DiDino was 8-8, and a 318 ERA and 18 starts. Scott Diamond is a guy that's been around a little longer. He struggled a little bit last year. They'll battle for the fifth spot, but I like the chances of guys like Vance Worley who was brought in in a trade from the Phillies for Ben Rivera last year, and Kyle Gibson, who at one time was one of the top pitching prospects in the entire organization. I really do think they have higher ceilings than both DiDino and Diamond. However it works out, I expect the Twins to be better starting staff than they were last year. And obviously, let's be honest, it couldn't be much worse. In addition to Gibson, keep an eye on guys like Alex Meyer, Trevor May, and in 2013 first-round draft pick Cole Stewart. Uh, I think uh, Stewart probably won't be up at the major league level, though Meyer, Meyer and May I think will be. But the veteran pitchers they've signed, the goal is to allow the younger pitchers to develop, and I think the Twins will do a good job doing that. They have a very good closer in Glenn Perkins that nobody talks about. 2-0, 36 saves, 230 ERA, 77 Ks, in 62 and two-thirds innings in 2013. Uh, he, he's going to need some help getting in the ball. Jared Burton is a guy that I thought was overused last season. Uh, his ERA, 382, was a little higher than it should have been because he probably got into too many games. Guys like Brian Dunsig, Anthony Swarzak are going to be uh, probably in the mix. A couple interesting options for the Twins in their bullpen. First, Dialis Guerra, who is the pitcher obtained in the the trade for Johan Santana with the Mets. He is yet to pitch in the majors. Uh, He's a minor league invitee looking to crack the big club. It would be nice to see this guy finally uh, show the potential that he had when the Twins traded for him when they sent Johan Santana to the Mets. Matt Guerrero. Who was a right-hand pitcher enjoyed the most success of his career pitching for the twins. Uh, It'll be nice to see maybe you know him or Gara break camp with the club and maybe see him kind of on a on a return type of thing. But uh, a guy that a guy that I'd like to really see do a good job for the Twins is on a minor league contract himself. Uh, was Doug Bernier? Doug Bernier was a guest on the Passball Show this year. He's 33 years old. Um, I, I think as an infielder, he's kind of a second baseman, third baseman, could play a little bit of shortstop. I'd like to see him get a job on the bench and kind of help out a little bit. It would be nice to see him get uh, maybe. Uh, be a Jamie Carroll type, and I'm certainly rooting for him. A nice guy, and he's got a you know an organization that he's involved with for his life after baseball, and I think he's going to be fine. But I really like to see him get a chance at the major league level. But offensively, here, here's what I want to look, look at for a second. I, I I look at the the way the lineup is set up. Um, guys like Aaron Hicks, Trevor Plouffe. Josh Willingham, uh, Buxton, obviously, is a the guy they'd like to get up to the majors as soon as possible. But uh, Joe Mauer, I think, is going to have a phenomenal season. If you're a fantasy baseball fan, obviously, you're getting ready for your draft. If you haven't drafted already, a guy like Joe Mauer, I think, has is ready for a huge season. Uh, playing first base. I think he'll play 150 games. I really think he's going to be the best hitter on the Twins. Josh Willingham is a guy in the third year of his contract. Digressed last season, hit just 208. Trevor Plouffe, I think, is a guy that could potentially be a little bit better. He hit 254 last year with 14 home runs. Uh, second baseman Brian Dozier hit 18 home runs and hit 244. Um, Shortstop Pedro Florimon, he's known for his defense. I think he did okay, and I think it's pretty much what they're expecting, a guy like Florimon with Sano out uh, to just go out there and hit around 220 and catch the ball in back of him. Kurt Suzuki, the veteran catcher they brought in to replace Maurer and allow Maurer to move over to first base, hasn't been a starting catcher over the last couple seasons. Chris Herman's a young guy who's probably going to get some time behind the plate, is also going to DH. Alex Presley, who they got in a more no trade, is going to play center field until Buxton is ready. So I think it's a situation where the Twins got a lot of pieces that they're trying to put together. Uh, guys on the bench, Chris Colabello, Eduardo Escobar, Oswaldo Arcia are going to be guys, our names to look for on the bench, and hopefully Bernier. I, like I said, I'm really rooting for him. The Twins finished 2013 with a 66-96 record under manager Ron, Ron Gardenhire. I was ready to pick them, like I said, to do a little better until a snow injury. Vegas has got their number at 70. I've seen improvement but I can't take the over. My prediction is 67 and 95, last place in the AL Central. Once again, John Pielley passball show, MTR Radio Network, 30 to 1 MLB countdown, the previews. Uh, number 26 is a team that I was very high on last year. And maybe I maybe I drank the Kool-Aid. Maybe I got myself a little uh, too much in intrigued by the Toronto Blue Jays and the moves that they made in the offseason last year. Of course, the big trade with the Miami Marlins to get Jose Reyes, to get Josh Johnson, to get Mark Burley, and of course they ended up trading for R.A. Dickey. And I I was one of the ones that jumped on it and said that the Blue Jays, in an American League East that didn't at the time have a team that looks like it was going to stand out and be the forefront or the legit team to beat, I thought the Blue Jays had their chance last year. And let's be honest, I got them ranked number 26 in my countdown, this year I don't feel the same way right now and maybe the reason that I'm down on them may have to do a little bit for my high expectations that I had last year it's pro, it's possible but I'm trying to point out what went wrong with them and the expectations had a lot to do with it of course but mainly the starting pitching was an absolute disaster and Jose Reyes who got off to a very good start ends up being out with the freak injury misses two months and after the Reyes injury the Jays can never get themselves back in, e, in EA at least, and it was a disappointing season, and he followed it up with a very quiet offseason. They did bring in DeAndre Navarro, who I think can give them a little bit of production, both offensively and defensively. He hit 300 with 13 home runs and 89 games for the Cubs, and obviously JPR and CBO, who despite hitting 21 home runs last year, hit just 194 and struck out 148 times. Eric Kratz from the Phillies comes over in a trade for Brad Lincoln. He gives them a legitimate backup, and I think it's they their catching woes that they had a season ago with Aaron Sebia and guys like Josh Tolley and Henry Blanco. But with Reyes around and hopefully healthy all season, I think the team can surprise. I'm just not going to buy in on it right now. The question to me is whether this team will be any good with their starting pitching. R.A. Dickey. 14-13, and 421-34 and 32 star, 34 starts, was better than his numbers, and I thought pitched very well, um, as well as he did in the 2012 season in the second half of 2013. Mark Burley, I think you know what you're going to get with him, 12-10, and 10, 415 ERA, 33 starts, a workhorse guy who's not going to really dominate. He's also a little bit on the decline, but I think neither Dickey nor Burley were the issues. The rest of the rotation sucked. Josh Johnson was a, one of the biggest disappointments in all of baseball. He came over, of course, in the same trade. That brought the team Reyes. He was 2-8 and eight with a 620 ERA and 16 starts before getting hurt. He's off to San Diego. Brandon Morrow, who I really thought had the ability to be the ace of this Toronto Blue Jays staff. He's going to be back in the mix, but Morrow was 2-3 with a 563 RA and 10 starts before he lost his season. And I really thought he had the ability to be as good as Dickey, if not right up there with him. It didn't work out. But Morrow will be back along with J.A. Happ, who of course hit that guy was hit by that line drive in a game. And he's going to be healthy. He was 5-7, 456, and 18 starts. Drew Hutchinson who missed the whole uh, 2013 season, was 5-3 and and 11 starts in 2012, has a lot of promise. I think he's going to be the fifth starter. Esmeal Rogers, Todd Redman, and former top pitching prospect Kyle Drabeck will all get a chance to show what they can do. A dream scenario would see left-hand pitcher Ricky Romero return to form. One, one a nicer guy in a game, deserves a return to where he was in 2009 to 2011 where he won 42 games over that time span. Also keep an eye on top pitching prospect Aaron Sanchez who may be up by season's end. I think the Blue Jays, similar to the Rockies, I think have the making to be a, have a very good bullpen. Casey Jansen, another closer that's very underrated, uh, 256 ERA with 34 saves. Uh, Sergio Santos, who was hurt last year, was acquired from the Texas Rangers. Uh, Pitched very well in the 29 games he was there. He's going to anchor the eighth inning. The Blue Jays' bullpen last year had two All-Stars and their names were not Casey Jansen or Sergio Santos. Steve Delabar, the right-hand pitcher, who didn't have as good of a second half as he did the first half, and left-hander Brett Cecil, who was a top starting prospect years ago before his injuries. They both made the All-Star team. I think the depth continues with Dustin McGowan uh, coming off his injury and making a stand last year in a bullpen. Left-hander Aaron Loop, right-hander Neil Wagner, and I think Rogers will be a, a factor as well. I think this is going to be a very good bullpen, and I think could be up, put up there with any bullpen any American League East and maybe the American League Reyes, in my opinion, Jose Reyes, stole just 15 bases, and he got off to a very good start before getting hurt. Uh, Brett Lowry is going to come back. Hopefully he could stay healthy. Hopefully Melky Cabrera could stay healthy. And the same can be said about Jose Bautista, Colby Rasmus, Edwin Encarnacion, and Adam Lind were the two guys that stayed healthy last year and both produced very well. And obviously you look at the way the lineup could be if these guys are healthy with Reyes, Rasmus, Bautista, Encarnacion, Lind, Deioner Navarro, Lowry, Melky Cabrera, and second baseman Ryan Goings, I think this could be a very good lineup. The question is, are they going to be able to stay healthy? Injuries destroyed the Toronto Blue Jays last year. It's tough to expect the same group of players that were hurt last year to be healthy all season. Morrow and Hap can make the team forget about their starting pitching woes they had last season. They just need to be on the mound and pitching well. I just don't expect health to fall out of the sky. Vegas has them at 79.5, which is about where they should be predicted to be. I'm taking the under. I'm going 72 and 90, last place in the American League East. And if I'm correct, it likely means that John Gibbons, the manager, Probably doesn't make it through the season. If you're a Blue Jays fan, listen to this. I was wrong last year when I picked the Blue Jays to win the division. Maybe I'm just as wrong this season when I picked them to finish in a basement. They're going to be in last place in the American League East. Mark my words, but you never know. If I'm wrong, it means it's going to be a good year for the Toronto Blue Jays. Once again, John Pielli Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back with former Major League right-hand pitcher Peter Monroe, who pitched with the Blue Jays and the Astros, made it to the postseason in 2005. And we'll hear a little bit about his stories, his trials, his tribulations, right back after this. 5, 5, 4, 4, 3, 3, 2, 1. You're listening to MTR Radio. We have
1: ignition. Strap in. You're about to listen to the hottest sounds. On MTR Radio.
2: And you're listening to MTR Radio. A flipping Out Radio production.
0: And you've got it. Hot. 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 Blaze. Blaze in the steel.
1: always covering the most current topics today check us out on mtrradio.com
0: we will offer packages to advertise on our website and on mtr radio get your name in front of over five and a half million people advertise on mtr today email info at mtrmedia.com for details
2: This is Lady E, one of the many broadcasters at MTR Radio. If you're listening to mtrradio.com, fantastic. ¡Qué bueno! But if you want to take us with you, we have an app for your smartphone that lets you listen to us 24-7. Just go to Google Play on your Android device or the iPhone App Store and download our app, MTR Radio.
0: is empty blog. Go ahead, laugh,
1: laugh all you want, but the fact of the matter is, this is this is the setting for the
0: greatest story ever told. Okay. Bases empty blog. 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 Followed by Kurt Sarlos, who pitched an inning in third. Brad Lidge pitched two hitless innings. Octavio Dotel threw a hitless inning. And Billy Wagner finished off one of the weirder no hitters in Major League history. Uh, Nine innings, obviously no hits, no runs. Three walks, 13 Ks between the six pitchers that combined. And uh, Monroe pitched 1999 and 2000 with the Toronto Blue Jays and then with the Astros in 2002 to 2004. He pitched in the postseason with the Astros in 2004 in the series against the Cardinals where they fell a little short. Um, hopefully, you guys enjoy this spot with Pete Monroe, who's got some good uh, perspective on his experiences pitching in Major League Baseball.
1: This is John Pielli. I'm here with former Major League pitcher Peter Monroe. Pete, thanks for having a couple minutes today.
3: Right, thanks for having me.
1: Anytime man. And, and of course, you, know, you came up through, uh, you know, you ended up moving around a little bit uh, with the Red Sox organization and then went over to Toronto in a Mike Stanley trade. Tell us a little bit about your, your remember, what you remember from pitching in the minor leagues and working your way up to the base.
3: I know this is sort of an adjusted period I went through uh, high school and the junior college that I went to for a year, it's just uh, based on the organization, and how it's run, and, and uh, more of an in-depth uh, how to pitch, uh, you know, P.S.P. making sure all the basics are done right, and it kind of sets us aside from amateurs, emphasis, you know, so I think the minor leagues had a lot to do with that, and once you kind of got those skills and, uh, you know, those happens like you're rolling uh, out of bed in the morning. It had to be like a, a second, uh, sort of a sixth sense for us, you know, like you had to be natural. And a lot of them are so doesn't that with so guys, you do that quicker and you become your own pitching coach, that's when you go up to the uh, the big leagues and you have more of the competition and it's more of working individually with the patterns and getting them out, you know, instead of... You know, uh, the minor league just really trying to progress and get to five innings and, and learn each time out. When you get to the big leagues you better know that stuff already,
1: you know? Yeah, very true, man. Now, Pete, who do you think or who would you consider? The 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 guy or the they'll say the the pitcher or the pitching coach? Who was the biggest influence on you early in the minor leagues? On uh,
3: the minor leagues, I'll rip it. I if he was, uh, yeah, he played with the Red Fox, and he said, well, and uh, he just, the way that he approached pitching from a psychological standpoint, you know, he kind of got in your head. Uh, you know, watch you throw this pitch or well, do you realize why the pitch ended up where it did, you know, based on the, the improper mechanics or lack of preparation for the pitch visualizing it before throwing it so he worked pretty much on your mind and once your mind is taken care of the mechanics, because have the physical ability already, right? he wanted to find your mind, you know, and he you know, helped me look at it from uh, uh, a mental standpoint, you know, and once pitching became that, it really started to become fun, because now you, you know, your, your talent, physical talent, can take over at any time, you know, after that. but as you don't change your mind, you just have other money to try to make it, you know, you've got to kind of break that barrier, that's where... The
1: mentality how it is, as a big league pitcher, you know? No, very true. Once again, John Pielli here with former major league pitcher Peter Monroe. Now, when, when, when was it that you felt that you had made that, uh, you know, exactly what you just said? Like, uh, you weren't just another minor league pitcher. You made that step, and you considered yourself a big league pitcher.
3: Um, it really wasn't until after I got a full year in the big news. I was at Toronto, I spent the better part of two seasons up there. And I was still, in, in my mind, I was still a rookie, you know, because... You got to be able to make a throw no chance for a strike, but if you get it behind 2 0 or three ones, you have to be able to throw it on the pitch for a strike. Otherwise, those guys are just going to just taking it off and wait for one pitch. So, uh, to, when you're in the minor leagues, you can get away with that stuff. And that's when the mental thoughts stuff to have to take breaks. You know, what, what it is they're expecting, what pitch at a certain time, uh, what point in the game it is, if it's a third time through the lineup, you guys uh, you have to remember. That's what I mean with the mental standpoint, you have to remember remember how you're them the first two times, you know, it's, uh, at some point it's even better to give up an early base hit with two outs, you know, and, and attack in the third, you know, like you don't want to attack them the same way as you do in the first inning, as you do in the sixth inning,
1: because it's the third time they're faking you. so they've seen everything you got. Now it becomes a mental game. Yeah, very true.
3: Um, I would say, yeah, I would say when, I, when I came up with the Astros, I was kind of fine too mentally and yeah, physically. Everything kind of came
1: together at that point. Yeah, it seemed like it did based on the results. And of course, one thing that stands out for you, Pete, you, you were you were part of uh, the, the largest combined pitcher no hitter in the history of Major League Baseball. When it was you were six other pitchers: Orioles, Waller, Gonzalo, Soto, Rasmus, Castillo, and Billy Wagner, in the gaming Yankees. Um, so was that game for you as the bill that said it, that the that it, teams that it, that it from those outside that the watching it? Um, no, no, no. no still pretty that.
3: Me to get on with my life, I have to get on with memory too, you know. It's a good memory, but I mean, I got, I, got, I got bills to pay. I got a kid at home, that's the so. You can only live on that for so long, you know? I hate it. And, uh,
1: you know, that's, that's, that memory is not paying the bills, so. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I hate it, Pete. And of course, uh, you know, later on with the Astros in 2004, you get to pitch in the postseason in the NLCS against the Cardinals. You make two starts there. Pretty good Astros. Team, uh, just one that unfortunately couldn't beat the Cardinals that year. But you know, a year later they got the job done. Tell us a little bit about pitching in the NLCS and your experience in the postseason. Uh, that was pretty cool.
3: I mean, uh, you know, because uh, I knew I was.
1: I tell you that Astros team was pretty good, and you know what a lot of people don't realize, it's a couple, couple breaks in that series, and you know maybe it goes the other way. Uh, Did you still? uh, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. that That was a big part of the series. Again, John Pielli here with Peter Monroe, former Major League Pitcher at the Blue Jays and the Astros. Now, after the 2004 t- four season, tell us a little bit about, you know, your experience going back into spring training and stuff, and, uh, you know, what what ends up being the last part of your career. Uh, well,
3: actually, after the 2004 season, I was arbitration eligible, so um, the Astros made it an offer. Uh, we ended up coming out to an agreement going into spring training. I don't know.
1: could have done yeah, to get yeah. the operations you needed.
3: Uh, I ended up going to see you know, like a comp lawyer and whatnot it was just it was uh, at that point it was just uh, it was not working good just because I wouldn't have been making a salary for however uh, long the rehab is and uh I like I said I got a I gotta I gotta you know, so kinda my shoulders shot and uh, you know I just
1: about it. it's only my life, you know? No, I hear you man, Pete now what's again John Pielli here with Peter Monroe, former major league pitcher.
3: Uh
1: do you ever you ever feel that let's say things get better for let's say financially, all of a sudden you came across some money, you had insurance, would you consider giving baseball another shot? Uh just greating again now. I, uh, it's it's
3: the, I'm thirty eight now. By the time I have surgery and rehab I'd probably be close to forty, and you know, I, like I said, if, you know, if I had if I had the financial ability to do it, probably. But the way the baseball industry
1: kind of put me, the you know,
3: politics kind of took over, you know. And I didn't talk. I didn't play baseball my whole life to deal politics. You no, know. nah,
1: yeah, man. I, I just wanted to throw it in. Well, listen, man. It seems like you know you, you're doing all right now, and yeah, uh, I wish you the best of luck, Peter. Hope everything works out for you, and we'll talk to you soon. All
0: right, thanks a lot, Joe. thanks for having me on. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that spot there with Pete Monroe. Of course, uh, you know, some things that didn't go right throughout his career kind of made him want to walk away. And, you know, it seems like he's happy moving on with his life after baseball. And, you know, I, I got to talk to a, a player that we're going to hear on the a, on a show last week, Jorge Petra who was an outfielder for the Colorado Rockies, and he kinda said some things that kinda echoed what Pete Monroe said. Is that, you know, sometimes the experiences in a game kinda make you not be interested as much as you as you were when you came in. Now baseball we always know is a game. It's a know you figure people get paid millions of dollars to do you know do something that a bunch of kids in a yard can go do and they get paid for it but a lot of times experiences and things that happen within the game and uh, the way certain things and issues are handled affect whether a player is going to have that love and passion and desire that that exists and maybe in some cases is needed to be a legitimate major league player and sustain a career and You know, it's a a shame how that works out with some people. And hopefully, you guys enjoy the interview I'll play next week with uh, Jorge Pietra, who was an outfielder for the Colorado Rockies, who echoes some of the same feelings in regards to what Pete Monroe was going through uh, during his time and maybe, you know, not getting himself another chance where he really felt like he could have until he just didn't want to do it anymore. Couple things I want to touch on before we get going. The New York Mets are in a situation, obviously, you know about the young arms and you know about the first base and the shortstop situation. Um, To this point, you know, knock on wood, no real major injuries. You got Jonathan Neese, who obviously went back to New York. Uh, to get an MRI. Everything looks good with his his shoulder and his arm. Bartolo Colon got a chance to pitch in spring training for the first time. Good for him. Hopefully he's, uh can duplicate his season last year, which would make the signing of two years and $20 million an absolute steal for the Mets. I really do feel that that could happen if Colon pitches up to his potential. Bobby Parnell is getting his velocity up. It looks like he's going to be ready for opening day. Uh, and I think the Mets are so, simply a, a team that is ready to make the next step. Maybe get a little bit better. I still think they're one major offseason move away from being contenders this season go over to the Bronx, you know about the Yankees, what they did. They they had a 2008 offseason-like spending spree when they brought in guys like Brian McCann and Masahiro Tanaka and Carlos Beltran and Jacoby Ellsbury. They obviously spent the money. I think the question with them is how they're going to fill out their rotation. If guys like CC Sabathia and Hiroki Kuroda have anything left, I think Sabathia has more left than Kuroda. I predicted before and I've said it, I really do think Kuroda is done. I don't think the Yankees are going to get a lot from him This year, that's why guys like Michael Pineda and David Phelps are going to be very important. Yvonne Nova, who I think right now is the Yankees' third best starter behind Tanaka and Sabathia. Uh, The performance of 3-5 through in the rotation is going to have a lot to do with the Yankees' success this year. The way their bullpen's set up, I really do like the Andrew Bailey signing, even if he's not going to be up with the Yankees at the beginning of the season. But David Robertson is going to go from the 8th inning to the ninth inning. Is it going to be that hard of a transition? I don't think it can be I don't think it has to be I think this is a guy that did struggle when Mariano got injured in 2012 but it doesn't mean he's going to struggle this season I think he's he's, he's getting himself in a routine he knows he's got the job this isn't a, a throw him in there Mariano's hurt you got to be the guy uh, he's been kind of groomed for the last couple of years with Mariano I know Mariano if he had a choice of who he'd want to see succeed him it would be David Roberts And a couple quick tidbits on the Philadelphia Phillies. The other team, of course, we follow here, MTR Radio Network, New York to Philly. Uh, Bill Zeltman uh, did a good job keeping you updated on everything that's going on. He was down there in Clearwater. Um, Cole Hamels may not start the season in in the Phillies rotation. We had talked um, maybe a couple weeks ago about the possibility of him missing opening day. Um, It looks like it's a situation where he may not get himself into shape to be ready for opening day. Um, The Phillies, obviously, you know about their injuries with guys like Ryan Howard and the thought of Chase Utley having another season where he's completely healthy. Ben Revere missed a ton of time last year. You know they're older. Um, maybe wiser in some ways to have some experience you know about j roll and Utley and Howard and their experience of winning World Series a World Series championship and you know the run that they had from 2007 to 2011. But you know the unfortunate thing is with the Phillies is that there really isn't enough youth being brought in. And they do have the players, guys like Mikel Franco, guys like Darren Ruff, um, even some of the younger pitchers, a guy like a Jesse Biddle, who hopefully they'll get a chance to see this season. They do have some younger players, but. At the same time, you wonder about the age. You wonder about the guys that have been there for a while and whether they're going to be able to duplicate what they, they did in their prime. But once again, John Pelli Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Big thanks to Ed Charles and Pete Monroe for being part of the program. We'll be right back with you next week.